All right, welcome back to another episode of The 86 Life. I'm your host, Neil Striebig, and my apologies to all of y'all that were expecting my guest for this evening, Mr. Don Mahaney from Scratch Food and Beverage. A couple scheduling issues arose today, so you could not make it in the studio. Instead, I'm actually going to give you guys a nice little bit of overview of what we've talked about so far on this show thus far this season. Some pretty heavy-hitting topics, and also before I even dive into that, uh, Mr. Mahaney actually will be joining me later on, hopefully next month sometime. Uh, when he is on studio, planning on talking about similar to what we talked about last week when I had Brian Hammond and Will Wood from Siempre Algo in studio, discussing a bit of the anxiety behind opening a restaurant. But with Mahaney, it's more along the lines of how do you continue your mission once you're actually opened how does your daily plan change nightly? How does your pre-shift work? And uh, basically managing the ins and outs of a restaurant from the restaurateur's perspective. Something we often talk about on this show is more along the lines of a chef or a server standpoint. I don't think I necessarily actually look at it from a restaurant owner standpoint too, too often. Nor do I have too many restaurant owners in studios. It'd be kind of nice to finally have that discussion with him. But before I get into the overview... Want to always thank you guys for always listening in and uh, supporting the 86 Life. Always appreciate your guys' support and feedback from uh, the listeners. Now, so far this season, though, I think we've covered some pretty pretty heavy topics. For those of y'all that have been listening in, I mean, we've covered a little bit of everything from uh, the tipping model, diving into depression, anxiety within industry, and we even talked about the sexual harassment. We had a couple lighter episodes as well when I had Madeline Quigley in here from uh, Good Food Pittsburgh. We talked about social media and that influence it has on hospitality. And then Mr. Dan Giggler from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette talked a bit more about the scene and how the uh, the coverage affects and a bit more of how, especially here in Pittsburgh, certain neighborhoods are a bit more successful in the restaurant industry and actually a bit more coverage and how that can kind of transcend to other neighborhoods here in Pittsburgh. But uh, what I wanted to do tonight then... And since it is a bit on the fly from the original schedule, was uh, essentially talk about how all that stuff's connected and uh, why I decided to cover these topics. For y'all that have been listening to the show for a while now, I mean, the whole thing started last year. But at the same time now, my whole idea for this show was to basically give a voice for individuals like myself and the industry that, um, you know, as servers, bartenders, chefs, you know, we live in this industry, it's pretty tough and we all know that that's nothing new to us in it but outside of the industry a lot of a lot of people don't understand what it's actually like and uh kind of live through a lot of stigmas within it we tend to be labeled uh we be immature it's never necessarily viewed as a real job we live a whole different lifestyle compared to the hours working weekends working holidays and we kind of become the redheaded stepchilds a lot of times to uh family and friends that have never worked a day or an hour even in the industry and that's not necessarily just by any means. And it's also, I think, nothing against food and culture media, but a lot of times we just focus too much on the food and the beverages and not say about the individuals and the workers that make up and comprise this industry and make it what it is, the ones that actually give it the heartbeat. So with this whole show is basically diving into that and uh, giving a said voice for us living and breathing the industry night in and night out. Now, with all that being said... I think the first episode we had on, on this season, I brought in good friend of the show, uh, Siempre Algo's chef and owner, Mr. Brian Hammond. We actually talked about the tipping model. And uh, the tipping model, not saying pro or against it, we brought up a couple of different points. Uh, if you look, listen back to that show, you kind of get the sense that what works in one restaurant is not always going to work in another. Any sort of restaurant and plan is going to change from restaurant to restaurant with a tipping model though it's something it's a system that's put in place that a lot of us don't necessarily realize is a bit wrong and corrupt i mean essentially letting a complete stranger dictate your income for the evening now that has a couple different issues i had a actually an individual earlier this week that uh came up to me about the the show and said that he actually enjoys working on the tip model because uh, the hustle, it forces him to 
essentially push himself and outwork other people and he knows he's going to be able to make a bit more based on that hustle. And I'm 100% with him. I mean, the immediate gratification that Tipping Model provides is somewhat reassuring. And even if you're a bit down this or that, it can actually be uplifting and a sense of adrenaline and accomplishment that comes with that. However, the fact remains that it's still a bit of a question mark at the end of the month. You can hustle all you want. You may get hit with the verbal compliment. Ultimately, you still have a ballpark figure of what you're going to make. It's not a fixed income at the end of the night. And that's problematic. That's to me where the big model is ultimately and inherently flawed and really should be done away with, in my honest opinion. Naturally, in a perfect world, that may exist and may happen, but until then, we have to kind of deal with what we have. The problem then lies with that a lot of us may not realize is you pick up bad habits with the tipping model. You come in and uh, this kind of transfolds into another discussion on the show with the depression, which I'll get to in a hot minute and how it all connects. Now, the tipping model, you come in, you can hustle your ass off, you have a lot of success, but ultimately you may be thinking you're going to make one, two hundred, three hundred bucks in a night. And this is a possibility you make fifty percent less than that. You think about your weekly wages. You have to basically structure yourself, and a significant amount of fiscal dis- uh, discipline to make sure you stay on top of your bills, stay ahead. Because ultimately, you may expect that two hundred dollars a night on a Friday, Saturday night, but if it doesn't happen, that may put you behind the eight ball. Then you also have to deal with something we've talked about on the show plenty of times. The nightly, after shift, post shift, go out, hang out with your friends, hang out with the guys and the crew from the restaurant. And then what? You end up spending half the money you made and putting it right back in the industry. Now, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. It's the reality of it. And a lot of times, too, a lot of us come into this industry early on and we pick up a lot of bad habits that we don't want to see pick up on. So by the time we're 25, 26, working in the surface industry for X amount of years, you kind of don't realize that how much money you're wasting by doing this every Friday, Saturday night and putting it back in the hospitality industry. And for better or for worse, then you don't realize, then you're like, oh, crap. Then you start getting that stopgap kind of job and all those stigmas that affect this industry, the idea that it's a stopgap profession. You make a bunch of money as a college-age worker, then you leave and go on to whatever big board job you have or you're uh, a degree in. Or you end up kind of getting grandfathered in and become lifers, as we so put it, which isn't a dirty term by any means. I think it's a dirty term because we let these stigmas kind of affect it. We don't go into the industry as professionals. We come in as kids, and then ultimately we either jump out of it and catch a, a plane with a degree on it attached to it out of the industry, or we just set ourselves in and just ultimately submit to either the life or term or the fact that's hey you know what i really really enjoy this this is my passion this is where my strengths are i'm going to pursue this as my set profession now uh where a lot of that ties into what we talked about in this season i want to berate the tipping model i end up going on a whole tangent just on that you can always go back on itunes and soundcloud and listen to the whole episode in its length but with that stopgap issue that arises with the tipping model and I think creates a bit of that tension once you get to your your mid-20s and you start to realize that holy shit I'm stuck in service industry I'm stuck in hospitality you may not realize you're stuck you may be happy about it you may make that decision but a lot of us by the time we do that it's either a committing to learning a whole new kind of set leaving an establishment going and upgrading to a fine dining establishment hopping around to different establishments to learn different trades, different styles. That's tough then. And this is, I think, where the depression comes into it. Because not only does a typical model restrict you just monetary, which is a whole different beast, and there's no way to allocate the amount of stress it puts on any individual, any profession, when there's monetary uh, problems. But not knowing what you're going to make definitely attributes to that. The stigma of being a stopgap profession also adds to that. And then lastly, of course, it's plenty of us. I know when I was cooking at the Sands Casino back in Bethlehem, my early years, Christ, uh, 22, 23, 
you know, it'd be Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever it may be. And, you know, family would be like, oh, you're not going to be around? It's like, no, I got to go work. It'd be like, what the heck? You know, they never quite understood it after a certain amount of time. They just kind of accepted it. I don't think they necessarily still ever understood it. Same thing on weekends. And that can be tough because what that does, it creates two really, really cool things. It, one, creates a whole new set of friends within your restaurant. Your work family becomes your immediate family because of the ones that are sitting there year-round more so than most of your other friends and family members. And then it also, we've talked about it in the show before, the idea of adrenaline and suffering through the trenches with an individual. It creates a unique sort of bonding process and that feast or famine, middle of the rush hits, adrenaline just peaks. And if someone's on the same page as you and you guys bang out a shift properly and you guys make sure everything just is on point, on its mark, and you guys don't fuck up, there's a super, super quick sort of bond into it. It's like, all right, you know what? No matter what type of background you have, no matter what type of necessity you have, that bond is there then because it's like, you know what? Yeah, no. We're on the same page. We can make this happen. We work well together. We're a team. And from there then, talk about the after shift drinks, the sort of family mentality. And then the bonding goes from there. And that's awesome. It's great. But the downside is then if you lose one of those compadres of yours or any sort of friends or you leave restaurants, just kind of have to start all over again. But to me, the depression then, as great as that is, it still cuts you off from your immediate family. It still cuts you off from anybody outside of work. So then if you want to go home and just kind of relax, you're kind of just isolated. The entire industry creates a sense of isolationism that is damaging, and that's both from how it's structured, late nights, working holidays, weekends, and then also how it's viewed and that idea that we are these redheaded stepchilds of uh, professionals. Actually, I'll get to the whole professional idea then, too, shortly. When the rest of the working uh, working class doesn't necessarily view you as a professional, I think that's when the depression kind of comes in. The backside of it, you have the tipping model, which we talked about on the show, and I've talked about at the start of this show, and how that creates a sense of uh, depression, weighs you down, and sense of conflict within yourself just on how much you make in the wage structure. What happens then, and we talked about a bit when I actually had Hammond on both for the tipping point and the depression episode. When you're isolated then, you don't really realize it even. You end up going after a shift, and uh, I believe for the episode I... I'd always, uh, after my shift, I'd always end up going home, watching some sort of Netflix, HBO, whatever, staying up 3, 4 a.m. Because what happens then, your your body is, is wired. The, uh, actually, let me start over completely. I'm, uh, got 15 different thoughts in my mind I'm about to uh, frame here. With the depression, you go through your shift. You either go out, out to work with you, your work family and your friends and your, your compadres in that sense, stay out to the God knows when, Good decisions, bad decisions. We'll get we'll get to that in a second. You still end up getting at home, two, three, four a.m. You're either gonna crash, half drunk, wake up, either hungover, or you know middle of the day. You know it's twelve, one o'clock. From a chef's standpoint, when I did that, I basically had an hour, maybe two hours, before I had to get back to work. I'd go in at two, three o'clock, depending on if it was weekday, weekend. It's not too, too much time to really get any sort of self-care done. Now, I could, you think about it. I mean, it takes, even you do a shower or everything else, try to get a workout in, that's an hour to your time. And then ultimately you have the hour before work is really the countdown we all go through. So then you think about the elementary task of like going to the bank, going grocery shopping. You now have to do that either after work or you have to make the constitution of like being mature, not going out after work so you can get things done before work. Even if you do that then, there's an issue, especially from the chef standpoint, which I always felt, if I didn't even go out, your body is so wired 
And I'm not saying that servers don't have this, bartenders don't have this. I just felt it significantly more when I was back at house than I ever have working front of house. It's a whole different level of stress. But regardless, any Saturday night shift in a high-volume restaurant, we're going to have some sort of adrenaline that you need to just unwind from. I think a lot of us look to booze and just you know social interactions after a shift to do so. But if you go back home, you either have to recharge, eat some food, so now you got bad eating habits, <laughs> the dietary uh, troubles of that. And then oddly, once your 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 body is completely fatigued, you're worn out, but your mind's racing 100 million miles an hour. So you have to kind of create some sort of construct then to relax and unwind. For me, it was always Netflix, some sort of HBO show, play some video games, and by 3, 4 a.m., crash. When you're still doing that six, eight hours of sleep that brings you right back around anyway until you're still waking up late morning, early afternoon. Half your night in industry working uh, friends and family by looking at you as some sort of schmuck, and all it is is you're on a whole different schedule. Now, again, that still creates the isolationism. still creates a sense of depression because ultimately you, you, you feel alone. The only people you can communicate with and talk about this are the ones going through it with you, which are typically your coworkers or any other sort of friends that have been in the industry or understand where you're coming from in that regard. And that can be extremely, extremely difficult to deal with. Now, naturally, why I wanted to talk about that this season because I felt it directly correlated with the tipping model and directly correlated with, I think, one of the heaviest episodes I've put together and have had on this show so far was the sex harassment episode when I had Celine Roberts from the Pittsburgh City Paper in studio. And uh, that's a whole other level of depression in, in that sense. And I don't want to open up that entire can of worms yet again. But what I did love about that episode, and again, any of these episodes, any of these topics I'm discussing tonight, you can always check out iTunes, SoundCloud, go on our Facebook page, Twitter, YouTube page. Go back and listen to any of them that you like. The sexual harassment talk, that's something that's that's happening society-wide and all that. It's, definitely say it's, it doesn't happen more often in hospitality than in the industry. It just, again, it, it has that perception because of the stigmas that, well, late night party crowd and not all of us go out and party everything else just because we work different hours doesn't mean we're always up to nonsense all bunch of hooligans which again is is why i have this show why we talk about these subjects and these subject matters but sexual harassment happens just as often in other professions as well it happens a bit more numbers wise we talked about on the show because of the late hours we work Drugs and alcohol are involved, and lines are blurred. Now, on the episode with Celine, we talked about the spotted pig and Maribel Italy and the god awful rape room and all that from the spotted pig, which is like the highest level of just atrocities that happen in this industry where servers were blatantly being assaulted, abused, groped, and then forced to basically be hush-hush about it, which is complete travesty. And again, don't want to dive all the way back in and repeat the episode, but we talk about how these ideas connect, especially those three episodes, tipping model, depression, sexual harassment. I think it's pretty clear <laughs> how depression and sexual harassment align there. And when you think about when this industry... If there's not an HR department in the industry, especially in a, a high-level restaurant and highly regarded restaurant as Spotted Pig was, and uh, your said owner is basically your only person you can talk to and complain to, and they don't have your back and they actually do most of the assaulting, that's extremely disheartening, depressing, and uh, again, not going to go all the way back in the episode, but when you look back at the isolationism from what I just talked about from just the structure of our typical schedule, and then the insecurity of the wage structure from the tipping model. That's a hell of a, a three-pronged just monster right there. That's a hydra of just hellish bullshit. Now, naturally, especially the tipping model, that's structure that's still going to stay in place. And, you know, I, I salute any uh, any restaurateur, any restaurant, your owner that can successfully 
do a no tipping restaurant, no tipping model, and make sure their their employees are taken care of in that regard. I think sexual harassment is an issue that restaurant wise, <laughs> society wise, it's going to take a long time to I think come to terms with that and and eventually erode it away as best as possible. Uh, people are always going to be dealt injustices. Unfortunately, it's not a perfect world. But I think that's an issue that is slowly, well, it's naturally in the front lines of the Me Too movement, but is slowly being listened to and heard more and more often out of the gates rather than after something happens, which is great news. And even in the episode two, I think when I had Selena in here, I think it was one of the coolest episodes we've had. It might have been a tough tough to listen to live episode for, for y'all, but... While I'm back and uh, and listen to that, I think you sense the awkwardness and the tension her and I had in studio. Selena and I have, you know, she's been on the show before, and and we've talked, and we're friends and colleagues outside of the studio. But I thought it was unique to to hear two journalists and a man and a woman basically talking about a subject matter that is so volatile. And we both were kind of walking eggshells to not say anything incendiary, especially live on air. And I think that's the the weight of that subject matter as well to where a lot of us don't realize how somewhat unprepared, especially on my end. I don't think I was as prepared as I wanted to be to, to talk about that subject because then all of a sudden you realize how one, how awful it is, especially some of the subject matter we were talking about in that. But the fact that it hasn't been talked about for so long, it is explosive. It is volatile. And good intentions are not so many things can be misconstrued and and pulled out of context, which then makes people afraid to talk about it in public. So that's what I loved about the episode and has off to Selene to come in here and and talking about that with me and bringing attention to that. It's definitely a subject matter that I think we're talking about again on this show, I think needs to happen again on the show too, because as I'm talking about how those three things intersect, the, I think, common theme between those three glaring issues that we've talked about this season so far is the lack of HR departments in restaurants. Especially sexual harassment. I don't think any of us necessarily go into a restaurant and, and ask, hey, if I have an issue, you know, who do I talk to this or that? We kind of just assume it's the GM or, or the owner. And I say we assume because a lot of us, again, come in early age, you pick up bad habits, and by the time you start correcting those bad habits, it's a bit more difficult. That's something I think the restaurant as a whole has to work on. And I think Celine brought it up on the sexual harassment episode, I think episode 12, if not mistaken. The idea of zero tolerance policy in that regard. 100% agree with her in that. I think it's the only way to, to start correcting it because so many things go left unchecked and ultimately with how industry works, it's going to probably hurt a lot of restaurants because you might lose some good talent but it's going to help 100% in the long run. Sticking with HR departments, though, even about the depression, anxiety, and uh, essentially somewhere to go and, and lean and, and talk to, or with wage structures that, I mean, it's as simple as that, is, is having these pillars in place. I mean, wage structures, tipping policies, you can't exactly go and talk to a chef owner all the time, especially if you're new, about those said things. And there is a bit of... Uh, professional ceiling within our industry which comes back to that depression topic um, Ham and I talked about it him and I both come from back house background on the episode on the idea that from a chef you can go to shoe chef to cuisine exec essentially own your own restaurant but there's a lot of times you might either A get stuck in a certain restaurant or if you do move up there's always that risk of falling back down the ladder in a profession that demands so much of you, that's a scary thought and ultimately can be a bit suffocating. And on the backside of it then, you think about servers and bartenders, there's not too much room to move around there. And I think that's where those a lot of those stigmas then come into it and a lot of the negative terms like lifer come into it as well. Because a lot of us then do feel stuck and we don't know where to go. That's a problem itself. Because I don't think anybody should ever feel stuck in any profession, any job they're in. But why do we feel stuck? Do we feel stuck because we never wanted to be? 
in the restaurant industry to begin with. We stuck as we never thought it through. There's a hundred different re- reasons and angles for that. I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that we don't ever necessarily see ourselves as professionals when we get in this industry. A lot of it starts young. A lot of us don't see this as a career out of the gates. And that's something I think that needs to stop. I think, and this is why I, I actually bring a lot of journalists on, like Giggler and uh, Madeline from Good Food Pittsburgh, and we talked about social media and Instagram and all that. We dived a bit into that. And uh, what I think is funny, because we talk about the media aspects of it as we did in the episodes, we talk about an entry level, entry position, basically. This is not from a industry professional standpoint. This is from the diner, the customer, the the audience perspective. You think about Instagram, you think about newspapers, magazines, any sort of food and culture media. It's pretty happy-go-lucky. No one's going to get angry about a delicious-looking piece of food or a refreshing drink. In fact, you're probably going to celebrate it, cheer it, and be interested in it, which I think is funny because we talked about a bit when Madeline was on the show in her episode with the whole idea of Instagram, and you definitely eat with your eyes first, and it paints a very positive picture. It never doesn't give the whole picture, per se, of the said establishment. It's about half the story. But from the diner's perspective, it seems exciting. It may give high hopes and... Hopefully it doesn't get false expectations, but again, someone may go in and see a picture expected to be exactly like that. You're going to have that bit of miscommunication at, at times. From the media standpoint, the coverage, and uh, Giggs and I talked about in this first episode, and last time he was in the studio, we talked a bit more neighborhoods. But in the sense of food and culture coverage, I think sometimes it's not always as critical as it, it can be. I think it, it beats around the bush sometimes. And that can be problematic because one that doesn't necessarily help owners out and restaurant staff knowing exactly what they need to do, especially if it's too vague. And I'm not throwing anybody under the bus on this one, speaking in general terms. But from the diner's perspective then, it's still focused on food and beverage and minimum about service and the idea that we are professionals. We have a specific set and skill set that not everybody can do, but yet there's no one in the media and a lot of the diners that come in don't ever respect us in that way. And a lot of times we don't respect ourselves then either in that, which kind of cracks me up because it's like, how do we erase these bad habits out of the gate? How do we start addressing hospitality as a legitimate profession and a career choice? It should not be viewed as a stopgap job. shouldn't just be viewed as, as something fun and it shouldn't just be viewed as you're coming in just for, you know, some poutine. You're coming in for, you know, a boilermaker or a cosmopolitan. And again, nothing wrong with any of that. But it can't just be rude from, can't just be viewed from a food and beverage standpoint. With discussions we've had so far on this season, I think the the entrance point from both the diner and the employee's standpoint has to be that this is a crew. We're coming in there. We're going to need a skill set. And I think it comes down to something we've talked about a lot, especially myself and the first season we did on the show, was the experience and developing that experience for the diner. You talk... Well, I'm talking about the media expect and when you see a picture or Instagram post you're like oh man that looks amazing I'm gonna go check that out you go check it out maybe it meets expectations maybe it doesn't but are you really then in tune to pick up on you know what that service was awesome the experience was awesome the picture of the poutine didn't live up to the hype but you know what that's some of the best uh, <laughs> one of the best beverage menus I've seen, had a blast, the environment was a blast, server was a blast, staff was super talented. I don't think a lot of diners are necessarily trained in that regard. And 
I'm not quite sure if a lot of service industry employees are necessarily trained or passionate in the regard to to take a a diner and introduce them to new aspects of the menu. They may be coming in looking for the said poutine or the cosmopolitan or whatever it may be. And they either may get discouraged and be like, oh, you know, whatever. I guess the same thing and steer them down that track. I don't think a lot of us have the confidence then to sit there and introduce them to a whole new experience and be like, hey, you know what? I know you have hearts in the poutine. It's definitely number one seller. It's awesome. Not going to say don't get it. Definitely check it out. But if you guys want to explore something outside the norm and, you know, you trust trust me as your server, you trust this staff, because I know I certainly do, why don't we go explore this? Why don't we go explore that? Instead, them two new aspects of the menu. I think a lot of restaurants that I've worked in with the returning customers, it doesn't always happen. You kind of just let the customer stay in their comfort zone. And I think that is certainly an aspect that's both parties are at fault. It's a fault for the customer for not having an open mind. It's a fault for then the servers maybe not having complete faith in themselves. And again, if a customer wants a certain item, by all means, shouldn't necessarily discourage them from getting that. But I think you do the restaurant and yourself and the diner the misfortune if you're not encouraging them to explore every aspect of the city restaurant establishment you work at. I think that comes from the confidence in being like, you know what, I'm here from a service perspective. And I, I'm saying a service perspective because of the first line of offense, the first line of communication with the guests and the client to get them interested and to get them intrigued and to get them to want to come back and tell their friends about the experience they had at such and such place. And when you do that, and you're able to establish that connection, I think that has to come from the fact that you want to be the reason they have a memorable experience. You want the reason they come back. You want to be the reason they may tell their friends about that. And that is simply, I think, comes from the confidence of knowing your role and knowing that this is a career choice and a viable profession that you are passionate about and you believe in. A lot of that sometimes comes from the restaurant and your coworkers you work with. And that, I think, comes back around to the three-pronged hellish hydra, I think, as I described it as earlier. Understanding the balance of that, understanding the fact that even though this profession can have its downs for sure, it still is a legitimate career, regardless of how it's currently viewed. And actually, the show is doing its best to to break down that... uh, the flaws in that. But I think it ultimately comes down to the fact that you're not seeing it as a stopgap job and you're not seeing it as a, I'm just going to go through the motions here. I'm going to let this diner kind of, you know, pick their own menu, pick their own thing and, uh, make sure I just drop food correctly and, you know, talk to them, be personable and, uh, get my 20% and leave. There has to be a bit of yourself, at least in my personal opinion, there has to be a bit of yourself. You, you, give to this industry. I think that goes to any profession you want to be successful at. You have to give a bit of yourself and sacrifice a bit of yourself into it. You get you got to kind of put your whole heart and soul into it. Hospitality a bit more than other professions, I think. You just can't fake that. You have to kind of want it and you kind of have to want to be there. That can be difficult sometimes to kind of develop because a lot of us, again, come in early age, don't necessarily see some warning signs, may get discouraged may just completely leave the industry in general, may pick up some bad habits, may have to get retaught certain places, or we just never learn them, and ultimately we just go through stumbling in positions we hate. And again, there's no correct answer to solutions to this. Uh, I think ultimately what it always comes down to is something we talked about, a tick model, and I think we talked about many times in the show, it works in it's not going to work in another but the conversations, I think, still need to be had. And uh, coming into another aspect of this season, and uh, two episodes ago I had the creators of Tipped Off Pittsburgh, Steph Dooley and Ashley Hedlund. And Tipped Off Pittsburgh, I describe it as uh, the LinkedIn of hospitality, so to speak. I know uh, a few naysayers have described it as the Yelp of hospitality, you know, I think that's a bit wrong to say that, but basically what Ashley and Steph are trying to do, 
And as I talked about in that episode with them, they're trying to develop a website and a service where hospitality professionals can go and find the best fit for them, the best restaurant that fits for what they want, whether that just be community kind of dive bar, quick service, whether that be fine dining, whatever that may be. And it's built, and it's a great idea in the sense of that because there really isn't anything out there for hospitality workers right now. A lot of us go in, drop our resumes off, and we kind of do the blind shuffle, walk down the street with about 10, 12 resumes, go in a bunch of different restaurants, drop them off, maybe get a call back, maybe don't. Then you get a call back, go on, maybe you stodge, pick up the gig, bingo, bango, boom, there you are. You might like it, you might not, but you might not know until three, four months down the road. What they want to do is eliminate that walking down the street, dropping the resumes off, and that three, four get. They want previous employee reviews based to review said restaurants, give insights of what it's like to work there, what the menu's like, what the atmosphere is like, both clients and uh, the actual employees that work there, and also have rest- uh, restaurant owners give feedback to said restaurants. If you listen to the episode, we, we talk about they do a lot of reviews that have came under fire. And uh, again, I'm not going to bring all this back up. I'm not going to repeat the episode. You go back and listen to it in your own time in that regard. But so far, they've had some trouble because they've had some inflammatory reviews from ex-employees but don't necessarily shed two restaurants in particular that were reviewed on. One still... One still business one unfortunately is not they don't necessarily paint a fair light I think that's problematic in in what they're trying to do because it does come down a lot of opinion and there's only so much you can filter at and I think they both have good intentions in the sense of establishing that line and trying to be as raw and candid as possible the problem is you can't always put that out there that another side. But still, their their model, I think, is good intentions and, and can have success in that. Because with what we talked about in this show, this season so far, and I've talked about tonight, a lot of those question marks and you may have, concerns, could be eliminated if that said conversation takes place up front. But it still has to start with the idea that we take ourselves seriously and as professionals. And what I do like about Steph and Ashley, what they've done with Tipped Off so far, is they've had two roundtable talks thus far. One was on the tipping model itself. One was actually on sexual harassment. Leave the tipping model roundtable talk they had. First one was at Scratch Food and Beverage up in Troy Hill. Second one about sexual harassment was at uh, Tina's down in uh, Bloomfield out here in Pittsburgh. And what those talks, I think, do, it brings in a lot of people, for, uh, civil industry or not, and similar to what I'm trying to do here on the show, and get these these discussions out there and these problems out there and, and trying to get more eyes and ears attuned to them and, and realize that these are issues affecting industry and, and how do we improve upon it, how do we make it better. Again, I think a lot of problems then, too, come into the realization that there is no simple solution. It kind of just comes down to what works in a one restaurant and then ultimately trying to take shades of that and blame another. But a lot of restaurants kind of have to build their own system and their own, well, for lack of a better word, their own kind of government. What I do like about both those talks, and especially the sexual harassment talk they had at, at Tina's, there's a lot of non-service industry persons there that came out. And I think that's more so the topic subject matter, especially the Me Too movement, people wanted to come out and talk about it. But I think what that then does is it gives people in tune to like, oh man, I had no idea it was like that because we do work in a profession that people just don't understand it outside of it. And there was another aspect as well with uh, the tipped off, which I think comes back to the idea of the professional versus kind of stopgap, have a good time. I remember in the episode, uh, Steph talked about how Tipped Off came to be. And she talks about working in New York. And as she used to go job to job, go to job, three, four months pass, you know, move to the next one. You kind of just hop around till you find the right fit and it took her some time to do that. And we've all been there. And, you know, when you find a perfect restaurant that works and 
everyone's on the same page. You, you had that family feel. You, you believe in the restaurant. You believe in the establishment. Your heart and soul is completely into it. That's awesome. I mean, that's, it's a, it's addictive to be there then. And the adrenaline I've talked about so far tonight, that comes from the Russia and comes from a great service. It's in tune out of the gates. You don't really necessarily have to motivate yourself to be there. It's just say, boom, you know what? We're going to go in. We're going to have a great service. We can kick some ass. Clients are going to love the food. They're going to love the, the experience, the time. It's awesome. You know, you can do a thousand covers on a Saturday night in a, an environment like that. A lot of times I don't even feel like it because it just it just works. And and that is a beautiful thing. But as she said, she, it took a while to kind of find that. And she wanted to develop a system that eliminates that so people can find the best fit for them and avoid wasting, you know, half a year, year, two years of their professional careers in industry before finding that establishment, which is great. But I remember I, I asked her, and I was like, well, would you still use, would you still bebop around every three, four months, even with system light tipped off? She basically ended that at, yeah. And I thought that was kind of strange because if you find the right fit, why not stay in it? Why not go into it? And I think that, I think it opens up and it was nothing against Steph's, Steph's response or her and Ashley's idea on tipped off. But I, the more I thought about it, I have to listen to that episode myself. Well, I kind of thought I was like, well, you want to develop the experience. You're going to want to learn as much as you can. But I think it then comes from a standpoint of, and I think what she said was, because I can. And it is one of those things to where it's like you can just bebop around and there's that sense of freedom that you can just go in another restaurant with your experience and go. It made me think, I was like, is that because we don't necessarily view this profession and it's just, you just take talent where it lies? Or is it because we don't have the contracts in place to essentially, I guess, take ourselves seriously enough? And I think what bothered me with with that and that situation is I, I think we don't find the right fits too often because we don't take it serious enough out of the gates. And I don't think a lot of us have the passion for it out of the gates either. We, we And again, it all comes from stigmas that we create ourselves in industry, a lot of times inadvertently from diner aspects, them just not understanding the work we do. And to me, that's it's a shame, and it really it's disheartening because what it does then it creates two kind of workers in our profession. It creates one that passionate, hardworking, loves it. Uh, I believe last week when I had Will and Brian Hammond from Simbriago, and Will alluded to the fact that you want to get similar-minded people on your staff that that believe in the industry and believe in the product. That's exactly the personalities that are necessary for this industry and hospitality, especially to erode away the stigmas that I keep berating the point tonight. But those are few and far between. You have those individuals that live, sweat, and and bleed this profession and believe in hospitality. And then you have others that kind of treat it as and abuse the kind of stopgap ways. And again, I'm not, this is me just, pulling out a segment of that conversation. I'm not saying Steph is like this or anybody from tipped off is like this. This is me just listening back to the episode and pulling segments out of it for its discussion tonight. Then you have you have the hard work professional. Then you had that the stopgap. It's a good time. Let me make my money. Go out, get drunk, and then do it all over again. And then ultimately I'll leave for quote-unquote, a, a big board job or a real job, as they always say. I don't know what the hell that actually means, but, but that's often the case. And what I hate about that, that latter, is that it then carries out these stigmas to people that aren't industry, and it creates a, a bad image of what we are. Because I, I do think a vast majority of us especially initially when we get into this industry, do act a fool like that and don't expect to be in as long as we are and then do go out and party too much. And 
basically extend our college year, so to speak, as we get to be paid for it. And then all that does is paint a really bad picture because you talk about it then initially out of the gates, and it's one of those things to where it's just like, yeah, I just want to go have a good time, be done. And then, like I mentioned before, with the customer interaction, you're doing them an injustice because ultimately your heart's not in it. You're not doing your job 100%. You're not truly committed to yourself that calls the restaurant. And then it begs the question of, like, what the hell are we doing here? What 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 is the point then of of being an establishment if you simply just want a paycheck? It's an industry that you can't exactly fake it and do that with. You, you have to want it. And, you know, we, we've all had nights to where, we, you know, you come in hungover, this or that, but, you know, those should be few and far between. And I don't think it should be a badge of courage by anybody coming in, you know, working high or, or working half drunk. That's If that's what you enjoy about the, the industry, I think that's that's flawed and you have to kind of check yourself that in that regard. Because, again, it, it creates a bad image for yourself, the establishment, and this idea of us as a profession. But uh, ultimately, I mean, I can keep talking about the past episodes again and again. <laughs> Naturally, I mean, I have a, this entire show based on uh, talking about these subjects. But that's a bit of the highlights from the past couple episodes what we've talked about thus far moving forward next week I'm going to have Jake Beer from Moore Street's Brewery and Beer's Pub on Allegheny West on the north side in studio talk a bit about him taking over a former restaurant Benjamin's and then changing in the identity of it and making it a home for his brewery and his taproom I don't think I've actually anybody on the show I had John Gratner in uh, talk about wine and everything else before, but I don't think I should have anybody talk about specifically beers and, and microbrewing at all, and especially in Pittsburgh's food and uh, culture scene out here. The microbrew scene and brewing scene out here is pretty phenomenal. I think it'd be kind of cool to just talk about that, but ultimately, again, just similar to what I want to talk about Mahaney tonight when I have him on rescheduled. I think it's something to say with the, the restaurant owners and that perspective of how do you take all these topics that we, that we've discussed in the show, and I've definitely discussed tonight with the idea of wage structure, the idea of an HR department, the idea of uh, employee awareness with you know mental health, taking that, taking the clients, advertising yourself, you're balancing all of that then at all times. You're balancing the personalities of the employees. You're balancing of your price points, your beverage programs, your food menu, and the perception of how do you get diners in the door with the advertising perspective then too. And I have I can only imagine how difficult and stressful that is. Something I've never had to deal with. I've always been able to come in, work my shift at a great time, get the hell out and leave, you know? I think the restaurant owner's standpoint is something that we often just overlook and I think even as employees kind of take for granted because we can go out, go to the bar, get drunk, and forget about it. It doesn't stay with us. And more, so, I mean, owning any business, you have to be completely in it, but hospitality, there's so few restaurants that really end up, I think Giggs and I talked about it on a previous episode, so few restaurants that even hit a year mark. But that's extremely successful restaurant to hit. But what goes on between that entire year, those 365 days from that standpoint of, Either it'd be changing up a menu, changing up a uh, beverage program, changing the price points, and why you change those directions and you make those tiny little shifts in the rationale of whether to draw certain customer to where you thought this was going to be a hit. It's not. Now your whole demographic and clientele has has changed when you originally attended when you opened. And I think with Scratch and Beers, I think it's a super cool thing because both of those establishments replace neighborhood hangouts and beers somewhat somewhat as as mirrored benjamin's scratch completely threw out what biddy's diner i shouldn't say threw out but completely different environment what biddy's diner was up in troy hill and they have managed to have success with it and hats off to him but to me i mean that's insanely crazy thing and i think it's something really worth talking about of one from the owner standpoint how you do that but then also too from how do you get your employees up to speed how do you get them 
to believe and feel passionate about the restaurant and get them involved and make them want to stay, you know? A lot of their guys probably didn't find out about restaurants through service they tipped off yet. And how do you make them not want to then leave after three, four months? And again, how do you not let, make them fake the whole attitude and make them believe in the product? To me, it's, it's a tough thing. And I can only speak on, on my behalf when I go in a restaurant and how I work. But I think it's, a, it's an issue where you you can't fake it and at some point you need your employees to to believe in the product 100% to to truly have success in the way that we always talk about kind of the perfect restaurant and the uh, the perfect team so to speak but that's about all I got for tonight I'm not going to keep uh, going over previous episodes you guys want to listen to them check them out iTunes SoundCloud go through all the titles pretty much have the said discussion topics in them but as always, guys, always appreciate the support. Always appreciate the uh, the feedback on social media. If you haven't already, check us out on uh, check out the Facebook page and Twitter for updates. A uh, bit more active on the on the Twitter page. But always, guys, always appreciate the support. Always appreciate everybody listening in. And uh, next week, as I said, have Jake Beer from Beers Pub, Worcester's Brewery, on Andrew Conti, director of uh, Point Park Center and Media Innovation for the beautiful studio space, and always uh, allowing us in here. Then also, too, want to thank my previous guests I talked about on the show. Uh, Steph Dooley, Ashley Hedlund from uh, Tipped Off, Dan Giegler from Post-Gazette, Celine Roberts from the City Paper, Manling Quigley from uh, Good Food Pittsburgh, Brian Hammond and Will Wood from Siemper Algo. Love having those guys on there. Always welcome to the show. And honestly, guys, get us on uh, on social media because uh, I'd love to do an open call kind of episode as well. We feed a couple of calls from uh, listeners in here and uh, get more of uh, an open discourse going on thoughts and feelings on Pittsburgh scene and hospitality industry in general. But as always, guys, thanks for listening. Much love. I'm your host, Neil Strebig. This is 86 Life Podcast. Take you out with the, the best song in the biz. Mm-hmm.